Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Good day to everybody. I am Nicholas Bornholz of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's company presentation series. We are privileged to have today with us the senior management of Genco Shipping and Trading. Before turning the floor over to them, uh, a quick uh, note of the disclaimer. Uh, this presentation is for informational purposes only. It is not meant to be investment advice or advice of any kind. And obviously, it is not uh, an offer to transact uh, in any securities or solicitation. It's information purposes only. Uh, please note, uh, in terms of logistics, we will start with a brief company presentation, followed by a live Q&A session. You are welcome to submit your questions. Uh, at the bottom of the screen, there is a Q&A button. Please submit your questions there during the session, and they will be addressed uh, by the management at the end of their slide presentation. Uh, in closing, this uh, session will be available as an archive for replay and access upon demand later on. And with this, I will turn the floor over to John Rubensmith, the uh, CEO of uh, Genco. John, please go ahead and introduce your team. Thank, Thank you. you very much, Nicholas. So with me today, we have uh, Apostle Sifolius, our Chief Financial Officer, will be presenting, as well as Peter Allen, who is our SVP of Strategy and Finance. So beginning with a quick overview of Genco, we're the largest U.S.-based tri-bulk ship owner. We have 44 modern, uh, very high-quality ships that are on the water today, transporting both major and minor bulk commodities, which I'll get into a little more detail, but on a global basis all around the worldwide shipping routes. Our new value strategy creates an optimized risk-return profile. We think it is the best in the shipping industry. We have very low leverage that, we're, that we've created, 11% net loan to value, a high dividend payout, 18% uh, annualized yield basis, the Q3 dividend. And it's a structure that we now have in place uh, for a little more than, than a year. And uh, it has, as I said, from a risk return standpoint, that low leverage on the financial side, but very high operating leverage with our Cape size and our minor bulk fleet translate into a uh, high dividend payout structure. We're headquartered in New York. We have offices in Singapore and Copenhagen as well. We have direct exposure to all the dry bulk trades. Uh, so we carry iron ore uh, as a major bulk all the way down through the minor bulks. We have a full service logistics solution on the operation side, uh, getting cargo for our customers from point A to point B in the most efficient manner. We are a transparent U.S. filer, no related party transactions, and we have been ranked the number one ESG shipping company globally, and we are traded on the New York Stock Exchange under the ticker symbol GNK. If we take a look at the global dry bulk trade and key routes, as you see, our, you'll see our U.S. headquarters in, in New York. We have a commercial office in Copenhagen uh, handling our minor bulks, and we have a, a distinct focus in Singapore with, uh, with, which is where the iron ore majors have their headquarters uh, for shipping. So we, uh, we book all of our iron ore uh, on our Cape size vessels out of that office in Singapore. This also shows the key global dry bulk trade routes. Again, iron ore, coal and grain, as well as the minor bulks. You'll see on the bottom 
that very long iron ore route from Brazil going into China, that is the most leveraged uh, global shipping route there is. Um, that is where a lot of ton miles come from, and that is where we are looking for growth over the next few years. What's also on here is, uh, and it's not, not as clear as maybe we should have it, but on the minor bulks coming out of West Africa, the bauxite trade, which has grown significantly going into China over the last few years. And there will also be new iron ore mine projects coming open in West Africa as well over the next few years. Looking at commodities transported, so the dry bulk trade is actually half of total seaborne trade volume. You'll see the major commodities, iron ore, which goes into steel production, the met and thermal coal, which is used for steel production, as well as power generation, rain, that's both human consumption, but also feeding of livestock, and then the minor bulks, which are various building materials, aggregates, um, all linked to global GDP growth. And if you drill down over on the right-hand side of the slide, you'll see the makeup for 2022 in terms of what Genco carried, iron ore again being the largest and, and moving on our large Cape size vessels. In terms of the global grain trade, this has become more important than ever. Um, grain is actually the third largest commodity that we carry at, at Genco. Um, and with the disruption due to the war in Ukraine, Black Sea exports um, have fallen over the last 18 months. Um, and if you look at in terms of actual volumes, that Black Sea and specifically Ukraine makes up about 15% of the global grain trade. So it's a very important part of this. And unfortunately, that has been cut uh, by at least 30% um, due to the, the war in the Ukraine and the disruptions that have been happening there. In terms of trends, um, let's start big picture with the supply side. The order book for dry, new dry bulk ships coming on um, is still at a historically low level. And if you were to order a ship today, you really are talking about uh, 2025 delivery at this point. And even that 2025 order book is very, very low. So what this means is you need very little incremental demand uh, growth on a yearly basis to continue to outpace the number of new ships um, that are coming on. And if you look at that 7.2% that order book and you place that next to the 8% of the fleet that is greater than or equal to 20 years old, this supply situation is really setting up to be a uh, almost a generational low um, going forward. On the environmental side, we have the regulations that, uh, that, uh, that are coming into play this year. Um, Genco has done um, all of the upgrades to its ships in order to be in compliance and continue to reduce our carbon emissions as we move ultimately towards net zero emissions within the next decade or so. On the Ukraine front, as I mentioned, the, the grain side becoming very, very important and, and unfortunately the lack thereof. On the coal front, we have seen an increase in ton miles as Europe has um, stopped importing coal from Russia. They are seeking it from longer, uh, long, longer trade routes coming from the US, Colombia, uh, and other areas around the world. And then I think on the demand side, the, the, the big thing to focus on is the reopening of China. 
And it's really on two fronts. It's it's the recovery and 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 putting into place the pent up demand um, on a on a post COVID basis, as well as all the stimulus that the government um, has done so far and and is projected to do going forward. The projections for Chinese GDP and Peter Allen will touch on this more in a few minutes. But we're looking at a 5.5 percent projected GDP growth in China for 2023 led by the property market recovery. And we have seen a good leading indicator for this at this point with the firmness and pricing in, in the iron ore markets. We look at this slide, this is a great slide. This goes back historically, and it looks at supply demand growth as well as the BDI. And what this shows is that there are very few years where we have seen negative growth on the demand side. And we have seen that that negative demand growth comes back very, very quickly. Unfortunately, the supply side, when, when the industry does overbuild, the supply effect of that overbuilding uh, stays for, for quite a few years. And we have seen that in the past. The important part of this, as I mentioned before, is the supply side is at a historical low in terms of the order book. So you, again, you just don't need uh, very much incremental demand growth to continue to outstrip new ships coming on and ultimately leading to uh, a firming rate environment. If we look at our fleet composition, we have our barbell approach where we have a focus on the major bulks and the cape size, which provides significant upside, particularly on that reopening in China. We continue to have, as I said before, high operating leverage, but very low debt and low financial leverage and more stability with the minor bulks over on the right-hand side. So we really look at this as the best of, of all worlds. And then on our scrubbers, we have installed scrubbers um, on our large ships, our Cape size to take advantage of the spread between high sulfur fuel oil and low sulfur fuel oil. The spread today is around $260. We've put a table on the lower right-hand side there to give you an idea of what that means in terms of EBITDA benefit. So we're somewhere in that $47 million benefit on an annual basis um, due to the scrubbers at, at a $260 spread. And then just finishing up before I turn it over to Apostolos, if we look at our ESG overview, um, as I said before, we are the number one rated public shipping company in terms of ESG matters. Um, on the environmental side, we have completed all of our upgrades in 2022 to make our fleet even more efficient and comply with regulations going forward starting this year. And then on the governance side, we are a transparent, we are a US filer, we have an independent board of directors, no related party transactions. Um, and we have also formed an ESG committee uh, for our board of directors. Um, so very high quality blue chip company. And with that, I will turn it over to Apostolos. Thank you, John. Uh, on slide 15, we just outlined our comprehensive value strategy, which is based on three main pillars, uh, significant dividends, the leveraging, and growth. What we essentially set out to do is to create a high dividend paying vehicle with low leverage and the ability to pay dividends in all market conditions. In order to do that, we have paid down over almost $280 million since the beginning of 2021. Uh, reducing our break-evens considerably and getting our net LTV down to 11%. Uh, 
And what that allows us to do is to take advantage of the strong operating leverage of the fleet to generate higher cash flows, translating into higher dividends um, throughout the cycle uh, of the dry bulk market. Ultimately, we believe that the combination of the low leverage, low financial leverage with high operating leverage creates the most compelling risk reward uh, balance uh, for the dry bulk market. On slide 16, uh, we're just showing you the historical dividends since the new value strategy was put in place. Um, the last four dividends represent the 16% yield, whereas the latest dividend that we paid in Q3 of 2022 uh, represented an 18% annualized yield basis uh, based on Friday's close. As a point of reference, if you were to put a 10% yield on the dividend, it would imply a $27 um, stock price. Going, going to the next slide, we just wanted to lay out the framework, which is a straightforward, transparent formula. It's essentially based on operating cash flow after debt service, uh, debt service and dry docking capex, less a reserve. At the time of the earnings, we always provide guidance for 70% approximately of the revenue days for the next quarter, as well as a full expense uh, break even. Uh, with details on each one of the line items, as you can see on the left-hand side of the page. There are two main elements to that uh, formula, uh, the revenue side, obviously, and the expense side. Uh, on the expense side, it is our low break-evens that set, set us apart from the competition. Um, given all of the debt pay-down that we have completed to date, we do not have any mandatory repayments until the maturity of the credit facility in 2026. Uh, therefore being able to significantly reduce our break-even. Um, for example, Q3's uh, break-even were approximately $9,000 a day. And going into 2023, we expect those numbers to reduce slightly as we have done the majority of our dry docking, uh, of our scheduled dry docking during the year of 2022. Um, furthermore, on the revenue side, um, you know, it is the operating leverage of the fleet that sets us apart and the barbell approach that, that differentiate us. While our exposure to the strength of the uh, minor block vessels um, uh, was positive for us over the last couple of years, it is now the exposure to the Cape size vessels that will add uh, to strong EBITDA performance going forward, given the favorable developments in China. Um, just to put it in, in reference, every $5,000 of an increase in TC for the Cape size vessel re results in $31 million of annualized additional EBITDA, which obviously flows uh, straight down to the dividend. Uh, with that, I will pass it over to Peter Allen to go through the industry. Thank you, Postlos. So over the last few years, 2021, 2022, we've seen freight rates essentially average $20,000 to $30,000 per day. Uh, currently, in the first quarter, we've dipped below those levels in what is seasonally a softer period of time for the dry bulk market. The seasonality is essentially driven by reduced uh, iron ore cargoes, particularly out of Brazil, uh, due to weather as well as maintenance, uh, the timing of new building deliveries, as well as the timing of the Lunar New Year in China. These are temporary factors and ultimately our positive thesis on the dry bulk trade and dry bulk freight rates in general isn't sent around the first quarter, it's more focused on second half of this year into next year. And what that's driven by is really uh, the reversal of China's COVID policies, as well as their continued stimulus. As John alluded to, uh, there's a target of close to uh, 5.5% uh, for, for 2023. Uh, last year was only about 3% GDP growth, so nearly doubling uh, in, in growth this year as COVID policies are reversed. 
uh, and we start to uh, to see more um, major bulk imports into China. So China is, is the biggest growth driver overall for dry bulk trade, uh, and that's centered primarily around the iron ore and coal trades. On the macro front, obviously the war in Ukraine, as John, as John mentioned, has uh, led to rerouting of cargo flows, particularly on coal, as well as grain. Uh, specifically Ukraine, yeah, we've seen approximately a 30% decline in, uh, in shipments year over year. Uh, but right now, uh, given the seasonality of the grain trade, we're entering South American grain season. So Brazil will pick up the slack uh, on, on those reduced cargo flows. And we see those long ton miles from Brazil to China as being a driver for the minor bulk ships. On the order book side, the order book is, is at a historical low uh, at approximately 7% of the fleet. This really underpins our positive thesis as we, as we go forward, limited net capacity growth, which uh, we expect to be below demand growth, tightening up uh, the freight rate environment. And on the environmental regulations, this is another driver of the supply side. So we have low capacity coming on, but we also have potentially more capacity that's older exiting the market due to upcoming environmental regulations that essentially started this year and will continue going forward. So we put it all together. We expect demand growth to exceed supply growth over the next two years. Uh, that low bar of net fleet growth of one to two percent. Is, is easier for uh, demand to exceed to tighten up fleet-wide utilization and, and improve freight rates. So with that, I'll turn it over to John. Okay, great. Um, so just, uh, just finishing up, we have created a very attractive risk-reward balance with Genco and very well positioned to capture market upside as freight rates uh, continue to recover. In terms of management, we have a very experienced U.S.-based team we are a U.S. filer, very high corporate governance standards. Looking at the market, demand and supply dynamics, we think they're going to continue to improve in 2023 and 2024. I'll just remind you, we have, we're sitting on the lowest order book from a historical standpoint, and we do think the focus on a recovery in the second half of 2023 and into 2024 is, uh, is a very compelling uh, proposition at this point. Our value strategy, meaningful dividends to shareholders, continuing to maintain very high operating leverage with the Cape size and the minor bulk fleet, um, but having low financial leverage. We think that is the best formula uh, for, for us going forward. In terms of our commercial platform, best in class, we provide a direct solution for our customers in terms of getting cargo from point A to point B and we have a track record of creating alpha and beating our benchmarks, uh, particularly in the minor bulk side. So with that, I will open, uh, open the floor to questions. You can see the questions on uh, the Q&A button, uh, Apostol Link. Okay, thank you. Um, the first question is um, how the Baltic index is affecting Genco's uh, chartering activities at this time in the last several weeks. So um, a few things on this, uh, you know, first quarter is typically a seasonal low uh, for the dry bulk shipping, shipping industry on a calendar basis. Um, I'll, I'll go to Pete in just a second to give you the, 
the three or four events that typically happen in the first quarter. Um, but we also do a lot of forward fixing. Uh, so we have done a, quite a bit of, of first quarter fixtures as we, uh, as we went through December. Um, and again, this is just another reason why we like our value strategy. You know, this, the, the volatility that exists in the Baltic index uh, positions us for a lot of optionality. We've seen some vessel prices come down because of the, the BDI. So it may make sense to take advantage of that because we do believe a recovery is coming in uh, in the second half of, of this year. Um, do you want to just take the seasonal aspects real quick? Sure, absolutely. So Q1 is historically the seasonally soft this rate environment. Typically, we see peak rate environments uh, over 50, over 75% of the time in the second half of the year. That's primarily due to a few key drivers. So iron ore, very seasonal. Q1 tends to be a slow period out of Brazil. Iron ore is 30% of dry bulk trade. Brazil is the most important route. Uh, we see Brazilian iron ore exports typically increase by 20% in the second half of the year versus the first half. So you get that long ton mile and more tons. Uh, and then the grain trades as well, you know, highly seasonal, but uh, right now we're in between grain seasons, essentially uh, the North and South American season. We expect uh, a really strong crop out of Brazil starting uh, February, March timeframe. And that's, you know, we see year after year on the minor bulks or a real uh, rebound after the Chinese new year. Uh, pushing up minor bulk rates. So, so a lot of seasonal elements at play today, but like we mentioned, you know, our, our positive thesis is more focused on second half of this year into next year. Yeah, and I think, you know, Chinese New Year uh, came, uh, came early this year uh, from years past on uh, January 22nd. And I, again, I go back to looking at how the price of iron ore has, uh, has moved up and, and recovered over the last few weeks. I, I think that's a real good leading indicator um, for demand as we get into uh, into the second quarter and, and probably more importantly, the third quarter. All right, I think I'll take the, the next question. Um, and I think it has to do with, it's more of a macro picture. If the war over in, the, in Eastern Europe were to last until the end of 2027, uh, and there's a potential flare up in uh, China versus Taiwan, how does iron ore percentage out of South Africa uh, and Chile and Canada factor in your strategy. I think it's a more of a sort of macro uh, question on uh, iron overflows. Pete, you want to try to take that? Yeah, a lot of lots to project there, but uh, sure. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, ultimately, um, you know, I think China right now, as we sit here today, they're very focused on getting their economy started again. Uh, I don't really think that. So when we when we rewind to last year around this time, China put out their five and a half percent growth target for 2022. They didn't, and then the war essentially broke out. They didn't really foresee what was going to happen and how it was going to impact their overall uh, level of GDP growth. And then obviously their COVID restrictions were were very uh, stringent, which constrained their their economy very much. I think their main focus, as we sit here today and look at 2023 and 24. Uh, is getting their economy back on its feet and getting back to growth. We, as we can see with all the, the various protests within China, which is very unusual, uh, they, they need to really get things in-house uh, a, a bit better and a bit more improved and, and get that growth back. Uh, if, we, if we do look out China versus Taiwan, certainly that's, uh, that, that wouldn't be something that would be great for the, the, the macro economy overall. But um, you know, ultimately, China is very focused on growth. They've always been focused on infrastructure. Iron ore from Brazil is, is a huge part of that. 
China's looking to differentiate their iron ore sources. John mentioned West Africa in, in addition to Brazil. So there's a, there's a lot going on and obviously dry bulk shipping is a macro business, but um, yeah, that, that's essentially, we're really focused on China just reopening and looking uh, this year and next. Yeah, and in terms of the war in, in Ukraine, on the iron ore front, you know, there, there, there's not a lot of iron ore flowing out of there, though it wasn't that big of a number. Um, but again, we're also seeing growth in terms of volumes projected over the next few years from Brazil in particular, uh, and then West Africa also. So, and that will more than uh, make up for any losses in, uh, in the Ukraine if, if the war does last uh, over a long period of time. All right, I will, uh, I will combine two of the next questions that I see that have to do with fleet composition uh, for Jenko. Uh, one of them relates to the focus of the segments uh, that, that we have within our fleet um, and also what our strategy is uh, going forward in terms of fleet renewal. Yeah, so um, if we look at our fleet today, again, we, we have the barbell approach, capes, as well as the minor bulks, which are really ultramax and, and supermax vessels. Um, we believe in that mix. I think you, any growth that you will see from us will continue to be both in the cape size sector as well in, as well as the uh, as well as the minor bulks. Um, again, the that Cape size sector, very it is very levered to China. So a China reopening should prove very, um, very good for uh, for the Cape size sector on the iron ore front and the coal front. Uh, but we also believe the minor bulks and our trading platform, as I said before, creates alpha above the benchmarks, um, and we we see a recovery in those rates as well as as the Capes move up. So I think overall, again, when you see us do fleet renewal you'll see us continue. And, and even on the M&A front, we're looking at both Cape size as well as the Ultramax class. Uh, I think you just addressed the next question as well. So <laughs> um, I think the, the other question that I see here is uh, relative to 2023, um, asking what the biggest risks are as we see it in 2023. Pete, you want to start with that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, you know, China's reopening is obviously, you know, front and center, and it's a big part of the, the 2023 story. Um, you know, we're more focused on Q2 to Q4 uh, in that regard. You know, obviously, when we look at the macro, so so many macro events have really taken over the typical supply and demand dynamics and dry bulk. So the, the war in Ukraine, uh, you know, the COVID policies in China, those are probably the two biggest factors as we see them. The supply side is so set up that you have good visibility there. So it's really just the demand side. But essentially, that goes back to what we've been been saying that there's such a low threshold for demand growth to have to exceed in order to tight up, tighten up the whole uh, supply and demand equation. So uh, you know we're still we're very positive. There are some risks, but um, there's not a huge wave of new capacity coming online. So that that helps us. And and obviously you know the, the low leverage of the company you know sets us up tremendously there. So biggest risks as always is uh, China uh, and then you know macro uh, macro events. Yeah, and, and just to, to augment that a little bit on the on the balance sheet front again, you know, having that low leverage gives us the ultimate optionality. If we do have downside risk that that appears, that simply means we're in a great position to to go in and and buy right and uh, continue to grow the company. If uh, if the market moves up, which is what we think is going to happen um, in the second half of this year, 
again, with all the operating leverage we have in the fleet, we are very well positioned to, to capitalize on that upward movement. Uh, Nicola, I think that sums up the questions that we see here. I don't know if you had anything else or if we are. I have to say you have been very efficient. You got quite a few questions, but you addressed them all uh, quickly and uh, spot on. Okay. So. Great. Okay. If you have any closing remarks. No, look, Nicholas, thank you very much for uh, for spearheading this and setting this up. I think it's been a really good session and uh, hopefully everyone can uh, tell that the, the management team is uh, is very excited about getting into the second half of this year and, and certainly into 2024. So thank you. Thank you very much uh, to our participants, to the management of uh, Genco. And uh, as a reminder, this session will be available for replay upon demand very shortly. So thank you very much to everybody. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye-bye.